how do we take this resistance and, and turn it into more of a persistence, something that will sustain the gains that we made and build on them because that's really what's going to be needed in order to protect our democracy. Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools to make a difference right now. We don't agonize, we organize. We've won some battles, but we still have a lot of work to do. And you've all been asking what the plan is. Well, we've got answers today. We're joined by Swing Left Executive Director Tori Taylor and founder Ethan Tadras Whitehill. They're talking to us about Swing Left's new resistance to persistence strategy. Can't wait for everyone to hear about it. I'm really excited about it. We've got our work cut out for us this next 10 years. Just part of the effort to save our democracy. We'll tell you how to jump right in. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is is How How We Win. Um, Steve, before we get started, I want to shout out our friends Sarah and Beth at Pantsuit Politics. I always feel so much smarter after mm-hmm. listening. This July, they're launching a new limited series, Infrastructure in Real Life. They're going to tackle the past, present, and future of what we traditionally think of when we think about infrastructure, roads, bridges, the electrical grid. Uh, and they're also going to push us to see emerging infrastructure like broadband and childcare more clearly. Learn more about the infrastructure you're depending on every day and so much more by following Pantsuit Politics wherever you listen to your podcasts. Love me some Sarah and Beth. They're just great. They are great. They've been great friends to us and to Swing Left. We've done some letter writing parties together and some other organizing. Those have been fun. Yeah, yeah. So excited for their new series. Um, So check it out. And while we're talking about other podcasts, before we get to our news, we have some news of our own to announce. Very excited. We have joined the MSW Media family. and. Yeah, we're on their podcast platform now. So excited for that collaboration. They're really good at breaking down the news and telling people what they need to hear. We're going to be a great complement to that to help drive people into action and let them know what they can do about the news. So I'm thrilled. So welcome to Daily Beans listeners who are finding us for the first time. We really want you to subscribe and share us with your friends and help us engage more people in this important work. So welcome to the the news news of the week. The first thing that I want to talk about is, of course, Republicans in the Senate blocking the procedural vote for debate, not for a vote on, but for debate on the For the People Act. <laughs> they really don't want this to, to get anywhere close to passing. They're doing everything they can to to keep us from voting. The Republicans officially have no platform, no platform of issues. At the last Republican convention, they freely admitted that they didn't even post a platform. It was just whatever Trump wants. Now um, it's even less than that. It's just voter suppression. That's their platform is to stop people from voting at any costs. And when I say people, I mean uh, specifically black and brown people and stay in power at any cost. So not surprising to see this happen, but um, we have our work cut out for us. And we've faced long-term struggles and challenges before as organizers and volunteers and activists, and we're not going to back down from this one because we're in a fight for our democracy. We'll continue to organize around this. But you know, to everyone who has stepped up in this fight, I know it, it was a blow to see this. The, it's not over yet. We have a lot more work to do to overcome the suppression that, that the GOP is doing in these states. So we're going to continue to fight back. Um, one of the important checks on what they're doing is calling them out over what happened on January 6th when mm-hmm. uh, the U.S. Capitol was attacked. Um, they are also blocking efforts to investigate what happened that day. Um, and so Nancy Pelosi uh, just announced that she's going to create a select committee in the House that is going to investigate the attack on the Capitol. Democrats started out trying to make this a bipartisan effort and they wanted an 
independent commission. Um, Republicans said, no thanks, because we we don't want people to know what we actually did. Um, you mean and the so, people who were complicit <laughs> didn't want to be investigated for their complicity? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, it's so weird that you know the the people committing the crimes don't want the crimes investigated. Right. <laughs> right. Um, uh, so Pelosi is working around that, and so we will get some more information revealed about what happened on January sixth. Another thing that happened today is that the first insurrectionist was sentenced. Uh, she got a very light sentence because she admitted to wrongdoing and, and she, you know, entered the Capitol and walked around for a little while, but didn't actually commit violence. But the most important part of the sentencing was that the D.C. federal court judge who handed it down really spoke out against the, the GOP for not just downplaying the, the the event, but, you know, actually lying about what happened uh, and sort of trying to make us all feel a little bit crazy. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think so many of us have been waiting for uh, there to be some consequences and mm-hmm. and and to see this happening and, and, and wondering, like, when is this going to happen? But we're starting to see the first uh, actual sentences being handed down and um, we're starting to see some consequences to these actions. Hey, speaking of consequences. Oh my gosh. Everybody get ready for some delicious, tasty schadenfreude. Oh, it's hard not to dunk on our least favorite person, least favorite quote unquote lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. But right now he's not quote unquote a lawyer at all because he has been suspended Uh, With his law license has been suspended, a New York appellate court suspended Rudolph W. Giuliani's law license after a disciplinary panel found that he made, listen to this, demonstrable false and misleading statements about the 2020 election as Donald Trump's personal attorney. He frickin' lied. We all heard him lying, and he's facing some repercussions of that. Rudy's in a lot of trouble. This is just the tip of the iceberg for Rudy. Yeah, I don't know who was hiring him to represent them outside of Donald Trump, but uh, if it's you, you need a new lawyer. Um, I, I don't know that he's really been been practicing that much. Out, he seems like really focused on Trump and and you know making deals in Ukraine uh, the last few years. But this is this is really important that that these folks are being called out for for lying. And, you know, hopefully some of this information will start to get through to um, the people who kind of got caught up in thinking and being convinced that their votes were like, the, you know, the, elect, the election results were, were false. Right. Um, this is just, you know, one of those building blocks. And uh, I, I just, yeah, <laughs> man, Giuliani. Yeah. Well, um, you know, now that his license has been suspended, uh, reportedly he's uh, going to take a little break, step back, and and head to his favorite vacation spot, the Four Seasons. Four Seasons Lawn Care. He's, four Seasons Total he's, Landscaping. He's going to have a lot. It's he's too gonna, easy. That one was too a, easy. He's going to have a lot of time to do yard work. He can head over to Four Seasons and get all the supplies he needs. Yes. A collective groan went out, but I <laughs> when I made that so easy, so laid up joke. But God, that press conference still brings me joy just thinking about it. Uh, uh, I've been thinking about him a lot this week because of the election in New York and just remembering back right. to like how respected he was and I know how we we had no idea what was coming. Time hurts. Um, uh, <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about is uh, the vice president is headed to the U.S. Mexico border. This was, as we all know, she's been tasked with figuring out what's going on at the border and and tackling the issues that are sending people uh, to seek asylum or or cross the border here into the U.S. This is an important move, I think. I know this is a tough move for this administration, um, but I think it's the right thing to do. And um, I think that we need a little bit more openness from this administration about what's going on at the border. and, And this is a step towards that. Uh, it'll be interesting. We we do have a humanitarian crisis, and um, I'm glad the administration is is working on it 
transparently. And uh, I know they just got rid of uh, Trump's border, the head mm-hmm. of the Border Patrol, too. So that's uh, undoubtedly a good step as well. Now it's time for our Hero of the Week. I love your pick for Hero of the Week this week. Yeah, my pick for Hero of the Week is 94-year-old Opal Lee, who is known as the grandmother of Juneteenth. As I'm sure everyone knows, we celebrated Juneteenth last weekend, and uh, it became a federal holiday signed mm-hmm. into law by President Biden. And Opal Lee was there. Opal Lee was there at the signing, and uh, she has been working on this for years and years and years. This is, you know, she's 94 years old. I love this story of perseverance and activism that she brings to it. And also, like, everyone over the weekend and has been talking about Juneteenth. And, you know, this is a very small step, but an important step in recognizing this as a federal holiday. I remember a year ago on the podcast, Mariah, you talking about Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. And I'll admit, I didn't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. I I hadn't heard about it. And it is now a federal holiday. So I just wanted to celebrate the great organizing work and uh, advocacy by a tireless activist, Opal Lee, 94 years old. Let's hear what she had to say. Oh, I just got to thinking when I was about 89 that there must be something I could do to make people aware of Juneteenth and its significance. And so I gathered some people at my church. My pastor was there, the church musician, a county commissioner, a school board member, and other people, and they gave me a send-off. I walked two and a half miles from that church. The next morning, I started where I left off. I've kept on walking, I've kept on talking, and um, now Juneteenth is a national holiday. Love it. What I really like about this is, you know, I think that this naming of the federal holiday, Juneteenth as a federal holiday, was met with a little bit of cynicism from some people who are rightfully frustrated about um, how far we have to go. Right. But... um, I love that you focused on on Ms. Lee because uh, this is something that she really wanted, and it's a it's a symbolic statement that our freedom, black the freedom of black people, is important to this country, and uh, it's the first step in many steps. Right. But as Ms. Lee has shown us. If you can take many steps, she walked, uh, I think, 1,400 miles to, to get recognition for, for Juneteenth. If you take that one step and then the next one and then the next one, you're walking towards change. So, Opal Lee, you are our hero of the week. Let's talk about our reasons for hope. Such a hopeful episode. I love it. Um, <laughs> my reason for hope today is a woman named Shirley Rains, who provides grooming treatments, uh, food, clothing, and necessities to Skid Row's homeless community. She speaks openly about her mental health issues, and she's a friendly, caring face in that community. So many of the cities that we're living in right now are really struggling with homelessness. And she has figured out a way to treat people with dignity and respect. You know, whether you live or have been to LA or not, you're probably familiar with Skid Row. And it's been around for decades. It's like a, it's, it's emblematic of a problem that we have allowed to fester. And um, we can't just vote and legislate our way out of that that issue that so many cities are facing. And here's somebody who is doing some incredible volunteer work with a smile on her face and uh, treating people as though they're human beings, as they should be treated. And she's just an example, I think, of what we can do as we're focusing on the the people that we're electing and putting pressure on them, what we can do ourselves. Uh, what she's doing is really hard, um, but really important. That's my yeah. reason for hope. I love that. You know, uh, obviously, as you said, the, the homeless situation in so many of our cities right now has gotten so much worse over the pandemic. 
and mm-hmm. uh, and it does, mm-hmm. you know, at times seem hopeless. Um, it and, really does, and very daunting. So uh, it's great to have people like that bringing us hope and solutions and and doing the work. So kind of have uh, two heroes of the week this week, which is great because there's so many heroes out there. <laughs> yeah, she. I just think she's an angel among us, and you know, living in LA, it's 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 very difficult to to connect with all parts of the the community there and and she's doing it so uh tell me about your reason for hope my reason for hope um and hear me out here because there's been a lot of news uh coming from the supreme court over Mm -hmm. the last week and very mixed i want to focus on the supreme court upholding the affordable care act upholding the aca this is my reason for hope not because i'm super hopeful about the supreme court but it's my reason for hope because of the organizing work that has been done over the years to protect the aca and protect health care for people who need it it's also a, a case in point for passing meaningful legislation that helps people and how difficult it is to reverse that once it's done. When we're looking at like what it means to potentially reform the filibuster so that we can pass legislation and the Democrats who don't uh, favor that are saying that when Republicans get in power, they would just reverse that legislation. Hmm. This is a good case in point in how difficult it is to reverse meaningful legislation that mm-hmm. help people. So if we want to help people, Let's pass legislation to help people and then make Republicans go out there in the face of public opposition and try to take away things that are benefiting Americans. So uh, this was a huge win for all of the activists who have been working so hard for so many years to protect the ACA and, um, and a great sigh of relief for so many people who would have lost their health care if the Supreme Court had ruled otherwise. That's great. You. I appreciate you giving us a reason to look at this particular court with with hope. (laughs) (laughs) We won't get into the other stuff that was was mixed bag this week, but very mixed bag. That's right. (laughs) That's my reason for hope. Um, Let's get people into action. Let's talk about this week's to do list. We have a weekend of action coming up. It's been Woo-hoo. a it's been a while since since we had one of those. I love that it's happening, you know, smack dab in the middle of the summer right after a holiday. Traditionally a slowish time, but uh let's get going now. Well, we are all in working, you know, beginning our 10-year plan with Mm -hmm. working on the election in Virginia. So we're having weekend of action on July 10th and 11th. Uh, Go to swingleft.org slash July dash action, or you can just go to swingleft.org and poke around there and sign up for uh, a group event. There's events all over the country that our Swing Left groups are sponsoring. You'll find uh, find different ways to get involved in that. This is it. People have been asking, what's next? What do we do? What do we do? <laughs> we have a weekend of action coming up. I'm really excited about it. And you're going to get some great context about why it's important to get involved now and stay involved from Tori and Ethan. But the other thing is our summer of letter writing also starts this week. Yay! So many people have been contacting us saying, when are there going to be more letters to write? I want to like write letters. Um, you know, my group wants some stuff to do. So we are now writing letters to Virginia. Our goal is to write uh, one and a half million letters to Virginia voters in the run-up to the elections this November. So get your pens, stamps, envelopes, and paper ready and uh, head over to Vote Forward to sign up and claim your letters to voters in Virginia. You know, uh, if you had told me a couple of years ago that we were going to write 1.5 million letters to Virginia, that that was the goal, I would have laughed. But <laughs> I saw how many millions of letters volunteers wrote this last cycle. And man, 1.5 million, that's a drop in the bucket for y'all. <laughs> it's so. funny. I was pretty cavalier when I was like, we're going to write 1.5 million letters. And blah, 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 blah. like, I didn't even say that like it was a big deal because our volunteers have been blowing these letters up. It's, yeah. You know, yeah. been crazy. So 
So those are our to-do lists for this week. But as Steve said, we've actually got a decade's worth of to-dos coming up. (laughs) Um, And we're going to hear all about it in just a second. But um, the strategy that we're about to, to dive into for Swing Left is so smart and so important. And I've always said that the thing I love about campaigns and politics and organizing is that, and movement building, is that you have people with limited resources that are willing to pour all of it into uh, into making a change, whether it's their time or their money or their energy. And so you want to know that the thing that you're putting into this is going to make an impact and is going to have right. a, is going to make a difference and swing left strategy guarantees that so your dollar or your time or your door knock or your phone call or your letter <laughs> isn't mm-hmm. wasted it's actually having a tremendous impact yeah well said uh so let's hear from ethan and tori Tori Taylor is Swing Left's executive director, and Ethan Todras Whitehill is Swing Left's president and co-founder. We are excited to have them both join us today to talk about Swing Left's strategy over the next 10 years, and most importantly, how you can get involved or stay involved if you're already involved. Tori and Ethan, welcome back to How We Win. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having back. us. <laughs> of course. Tori and I do everything in sync, what can I say? Exactly, yeah. Um, so I got a sneak peek at our resistance to persistence plan because, oh, nice. you know, I work here. Um, and I have to say, I was really, really excited that Swing Left is working on the all-important long game. Uh, why did you all feel it was important to outline a strategy for the next 10 years and not just look at the next election? Well, you know, Swing Left has grown a lot over the last um, several years, and we've really grown on this wave of unprecedented grassroots energy um, over the past four years. It was very unified behind this goal of defeating Donald Trump. Um, and, you know, we won a lot of key battles uh, in 2020 with defeating Donald Trump, winning back the White House, um, taking back the Senate. But um, there is a much larger war um, that we're fighting. You know, with the departure of Trump from the White House, we know that Trumpism still exists. We know that this Republican Party is increasingly radicalized and are using strategies um, around undermining our electoral process and the framework of our democracy. And that's a strategy for them. And, you know, as we were approaching 2021 and 2022 and huddling with our political team and our, our team at Swing Left to figure out, you know, what is what is the next chapter of Swing Left's work look like and kind of our collective work as a grassroots community. Um, it was very clear that, you know, this wasn't a one and done election in 2020, that this is kind of a path to a much greater um, purpose. And Ethan likes to say this a lot, really a generational struggle to make sure that we're protecting American democracy. And so, you know, our 10-year plan that we're launching this week focuses on not only those short-term electoral victories and how important it is to win elections in Virginia in 2021, um, protect Congress and defend um, our very fragile majorities in Congress in 2022, but also, you know, what is the path to 2030 um, and making sure that we're laying out building blocks over the next few election cycles that not only defeat Republicans, but also protect and strengthen um, our democracy, which we have all seen over the last few years, and literally um, in the past few months after the election, you know, just how fragile that is. Yeah, and I'll just add, um, you know, that I feel like we we saw, like, you know, like, like Steve, I think you're like me, um, someone who was activated politically following Trump's election, Tory is uh, been doing this work, you know, a good deal longer. But um, I think, you, you know, we had this hope that there was going to be this wholesale rejection of Donald Trump. And, you know, we saw the polls and the ballot, uh, you know, but still the polls leading up to 2020, it looked like that was going to happen. And then not only did that not happen, but it was really, really close. And then obviously um, with uh, Trump trying to steal the election, leading to the insurrection, um, and everything since, I think it's this this kind of rude awakening. We kind of hoped that maybe the country was really going to reject this concept wholesale 
And it turns out that quite the opposite. The Republicans are doubling down on it and they are far too close uh, uh, for comfort. Um, so I think that shift in terms of recognizing that 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 this wasn't like Tory said going to be one and done, and we really need to settle in for the long haul. I think a lot of the volunteers, the newly activated folks, are understand that and are up for that. But like they want to they, they want to understand what is the long game, what is the end game, what are we building towards? How does this actually um, you know sort of defeat this this uh, this anti democratic strain, and I mean anti small democracy strain in right. in the GOP. And we think that that goes through not only short-term victories, but long-term building power in the states, which is the current bulwark of Republican power. So it sounds like um, the overarching strategy is is protecting our democracy, which um, couldn't be a more Im- important goal. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what the plan is for our listeners? What are our marching orders in the short, medium, and longer term? Uh, yeah, sure. So, you know, um, I'll start with actually, I'll, I'll work backwards, uh, starting from the long term, like, like Tori said, and like I was referencing, it's, it's, it's with an eye to 2030. You know, you look at 2020, and uh, although we made a lot of gains in state legislatures in 2018, we really didn't in 2020. Um, and so uh, now Republicans are in the position to, um, you know, draw extreme partisan gerrymanders to, to, to disenfranchise voters. Um, and also to you know pass further voter suppression laws, and so um, looking at that and seeing what's happening, we realize you know if if, if we are going to win, if we are going to be able to undo some of the gerrymanders of 2010, it's going to take uh, a 10-year effort. Um, and so we're really we're continuing our work in the states and state legislatures with an eye towards uh, the next redistricting, that kind of long game approach that Republicans have long taken yeah. and Democrats really haven't as much. You know, uh, we're, we're going to be adopting that um, in the shorter term, though, states are still, you know, I think um, the last couple of months leading up to the 2020 elections with uh, the way the Republican states were sort of like trying to clamp down on vote by mail and Democratic states were expanding them. And then, um, you know, everything after the election really kind of gave us all a masterclass in the power that state government has over federal power. Right. So, you know, just imagine that instead of, say, uh, um, Evers, Whitmer and Wolf in 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 Michigan, Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania, we had some of the Trumpistas that are now sort of like vying for statewide office. And so we recognize that those offices can really be a bulwark against some of the worst stuff that Republicans can do. And that's why we're for the first time uh, doing governorships um, this cycle, because because those are so important to sort of like just like stopping the worst things on the way to, you know, getting to the point where we can maybe start to take back some of these state legislatures. Um, it's a great point. Also, the Republican governors have uh, a very effectively blocked a lot of uh, Democratic legislation with the veto. Um, so it would be nice to be able to flip that script a bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then in the short term, obviously, you know, our goal is to, um, given the, the, the Biden-Harris administration, four full years to pass society-changing legislation. We know that the best argument that um, Biden uh, can give in 2024 when running for re-election is, is showing, like, look, this is what I did over the last four years. And if Republicans mm-hmm. are able to win back Congress, we're not going to be able to do much. And, it's, and, right. and voters are just like, oh, I guess government doesn't work anymore. So it's it's critical to be able to give the Biden administration four full years in control of Congress, both to win and obviously to make the gains in society that we have elected them to make mm. in the first place. And also, we were talking uh, the first time Tory was on our show, we were talking about Virginia in 2019 and how important that election is. And that's coming up again now. Uh, so uh, another very important election to hold on to that trifecta. Yeah, and obviously Virginia sort of sets the stage for the midterms, right? Um, you know, uh, building the momentum, you know, the media coverage, like so much about the midterms is is that narrative in terms of what's going on in terms of um, what builds energy on the sides. And so we need to protect the, the gains we made in Virginia, but those gains and, and protecting those, those gains are also critical to, um, to putting us in a good position to win the midterms in 2022. Our volunteers have really evolved over the last four years. Um, 
we always have new people who are jumping in to get involved for the first time, but we also have volunteers who are now seasoned and experienced organizers. Mm-hmm. Um, how did what we achieved in the past inform how we look to engage in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think um, over the last few years, you know, there's we've had a really a, a massive coalition of our volunteer community mm-hmm. come together from people who have been volunteering for political campaigns since they could like walk and knock the door to people who, you know, might be in, um, you know, 50 years old. And this is the first time they ever like picked up a phone call um, to talk to a voter. And so I think that one, it's incredibly important to hold all of those people together for this next chapter, you know, reference Virginia. And I think one of the things that we've really been thoughtful about as we've looked at our strategy um, moving forward is making sure that a, a 2009 and a 2010 doesn't happen. And for those who um, aren't familiar or don't remember what happened after um, the 2008 election, after Barack Obama won and we had Democratic majorities in Congress, there was a little bit of a cliff in volunteer enthusiasm and engagement leading up to the 2009 elections in New Jersey and Virginia. Um, and, you know, we saw the building blocks of a red wave um, begin to build um, in 2009. Republicans had sweeping victories in some of those off-year elections. And then, as many of us know, um, had, you know, very large wins in the 2010 elections, which have really led to just generational consequences um, when it has come to gerrymandering and, you know, how power is decided in this country. And so, you know, that's something that has been really front and center on our minds and something that we've also been talking a lot to, you know, our volunteer community on and why it's so important to keep up this fight and make sure that we're keeping enthusiasm and engagement very high, you know, for our seasoned volunteers who were volunteer leaders the past couple of years who lead swing last groups. Um, it's so important for us to retain those local volunteers and make sure that not only are we retaining you know, the folks who were part of this coalition that allowed us to do so many important things last year, but also we're continuing to bring new people into the process. You know, this has to always be a fluid, dynamic movement that always has space for more people. That's how we grow. That's how we continue to win. You know, our margins are so fragile. We are, we're only in power by a few seats. And, you know, as we talked about these pillars in terms of how we run elections and how our democracy works, um, are also fragile. And so we really need every single person in this fight with us, both the people that have been with us over the last few years and also the people who are new to the process now. We have to make space for them as well. I mean, them working for both the long term and the short term. That's kind of like the, uh, the, the key to the strategy here. How do we make this sustainable? You know, how do we take this mm-hmm. resistance and and turn it into more of a persistent something that will sustain the gains that we made and build on them because that's really what's going to be needed in order to protect our democracy. Um, I I love the focus on enthusiasm because you know the last the previous four years were quite scary. You can yeah. only scare people for so long. Um, you really want people to do this work because they see that they have an impact on their communities and and beyond. Um, And so I really um, appreciate that focus. Um, But we also have to remember when we we let our guards down a little bit, the Tea Party comes in, which is what happened in in 2010. Um, uh, In our last election, um, we won the White House, Senate, the House, and we had to overcome the organizing challenges brought on by the coronavirus. As a result, we learned new ways to engage with voters virtually. Now that we're starting to see in-person events return, how is that going to change our organizing tactics? Are we going to continue to do a combination of in-person and, and virtual? Are people just itching to get back to, to in-person and that's where the focus will lie? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, you know, I think if, if you all or anyone listening are, are like me, I am very much itching. Yeah. <laughs> to see many people I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> after being in my house for the better part of the year um, or over a year. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I definitely think as vaccination rates continue to rise and we slowly, you know, move out of this pandemic, we will go back to in-person work from, um, you know, we have folks 
already knocking doors. Um, you know, a lot of our campaigns and a lot of our volunteers are taking the safety and making sure, you know, our volunteers are protected very seriously. Um, so, you know, I think that we're going to return to in-person work. With that said, I do think that there's going to be kind of a hybrid model moving forward. You know, we mm. were really forced to think about new ways of communicating to volunteers and to voters over the last year. Um, and, you know, I think there, there are some benefits that we're going to see from that, from kind of the innovation of technology, you know, the accessibility to a lot yep. of these volunteer yep. actions, right? Not everyone can take the day off to go drive to a swing district and not doors for, their, for a day, but you know, we should still prioritize an action that's very high impact for them to be able to engage in this work. We were able to be super innovative. You know, we uh, we were scrambling and, and campaigns really stepped up and Swing Left, I think, had the uh, advantage to being a remote organization from the beginning mm-hmm. and, and already, you know, very intentional about uh, ways to make it easy for people, uh, as you said, who may, maybe don't have the means to travel uh, to a place to make an impact. So um, I look at Vote Forward specifically. It's now launching yeah, that's their... that's what I was going to mention. Yeah. yeah. Well, go ahead. Talk about Vote Forward, Ethan. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I just thinking about, like Tori said, like a hybrid model layering back in, you know, like you said, we were kind of like forced to innovate, which is generally our focus anyway. But, um, you know, we put a, a lot of energy behind Vote Forward's uh, Big Send campaign. Um, you know, the, the great thing about it is not only was it something people could do virtually, but it was, you know, one, proven effective and two, something people could do in the lead up to the election, right? right? So what was so great about that is it was just additive to the kinds of voter volunteer voter contact people could do. It was basically taking the GOTV time period, you know, and stretching it out for a year, um, sort of like banking those voter contacts. I think it was 17 million in all. And so like those sorts of things, you know, there's always going to be space for something like that because it's just additive. People can sort of write those letters throughout the year and then get there out on the doors in the end. Or if they live near a swing race, they can be out on the doors regularly. So, you know, find, finding ways to sort of like layer in what, what was the best of what we did virtually and continuing to do that, recognizing that, you know, people won't always live near these, these key targets um, right. and, and will want to be able to make an impact anyway. Um. Tori, you joined Swing Left a couple of years ago after, among other things, managing a congressional campaign in North Carolina. Now you're executive director. How has Swing Left changed since you started? And how has your life changed since you became ED? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, you know, especially since there's been so much going on in the world. Uh, it feels yeah. like those two years have been really 200 years. I don't know if they all can see, but I actually have like a very significant like gray streak stop it like no i know i know (laughs) it's it's happening it's happening um no it's definitely it's it's been an interesting two years you know i think one of the the takeaways from whenever i was managing a campaign in 2018 for now congresswoman kathy manning um i was really interested in you know, this wave of grassroots energy that was starting to build um, when Trump was in office. You know, I think we saw it building in 2017 um, between Swing Left, other resistance groups that were really just kind of coming to the forefront. And, you know, as a campaign manager, I was the beneficiary of a lot of that energy in 2018 when everyone was focused on taking back the house. And, you know, I had kind of built a career working in more establishment and kind of larger legacy democratic organizations and very large presidential campaigns. And, you know, for the first time, I was really seeing all this enthusiasm and all this energy in kind of these grassroots organizations and really kind of building from the ground up, which um, was really incredible. And so after I left that campaign, you know, I was thinking, what is a good use of my time over the next few years? Where is a place where, you know, my skills can have, you know, a large impact and that also a place where they're doing this work in a different way. Um, You know, they're being innovative, they're, you know, really making politics more accessible and Swing Left was a very easy choice. Um, And so obviously, you know, over the last couple of years with the pandemic, I think none of us expected what the election of 2020, um, what it actually ended up looking like. I think we all anticipated it being pretty tough, but a global pandemic was not on my radar. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I think that there were a lot of things about Swing Left that made us uniquely 
situated to weather that storm. Um, you know, like you said earlier, we were a remote organization to start with. Um, a lot of our volunteers are based across the country. We had kind of some built-in techniques to pull people together and communicate um, virtually, which was really helpful. But I think the other thing that was, you know, really challenging was the fact that you know, a lot of people's mental health was were in tough places last year. Yeah. You know, we were fighting this really intense election and all unified by this common goal of winning last year. But, you know, we also hadn't left our, our houses <laughs> in months. We haven't seen our families. There were people that, you know, were having health issues. And I think leading in a time of such volatility and turmoil in the world, while also you know, building an organization and working to equip a movement to defeat um, this terrible president and really put our country back on the right track was, was definitely a pretty large professional development <laughs> <laughs> opportunity for me to say the least. Um, but at the same time, you know, when you go through um, such unique trials with a large group of people, you know, both our swing left team, but also I would consider like our volunteers and our donors and our kind of collective grassroots community in that you know, when you go through those type of trials together and come out on the other side, you know, there's a there's a really important bond and a strength to that. And so um, I take a lot of, of pride in kind of how we work together as a team and kind of as a collective movement over the last um, couple of years. And I think it's a really strong foundation for, you know, this long road ahead. Because like we said, it's not over and there's still a lot of work to be done. And um, you know, I'm hopeful that this past year has actually made some of those bonds, the things that tie us together even a little bit stronger. Yeah, definitely some uh, awesome bullet points for your CV, Saving Democracy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've been doing a, a really, really awesome job. And, um, and Ethan, I've always loved your story. Uh, as you mentioned in the beginning, both of us really jumped in in earnest after Trump was elected, and, and you were a writer working outside of politics who essentially had an idea for a website to help connect volunteers to their closest swing district that became an organization empowering now over a million volunteers to make a real difference in these elections. Last time we spoke on the podcast, we were heading into the presidential having just won the House in the midterms. You must feel so proud. I mean, what are your reflections on the last four years of this organization that you helped birth? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I do feel proud, but I feel proud of like, you know, this collective community that so many people you know, looked at what happened in 2016 and their reaction was not to sort of despair and, you know, to kind of crawl into a cave somewhere, but to sort of like immediately say, what, what can I do and how can I do it? And, you know, um, I just feel lucky that, you know, I was able and the team that helped me launch Swing Left initially was able to sort of provide this, this early outlet um, and that so many wonderful people were able to build this organization into, you know, something that could be a real conduit for people to continue to channel the bad feelings that they got from seeing what the Republicans were doing to our government and our country and to channel that energy into sort of like positive, tangible actions that, you know, directly worked against what the Republicans were doing in the form of helping Democrats, you know, win key elections. And so, you know, I, I um, you know, I, I kind of I remember talking to the, the staff about it, you know, last uh, last year before the election. And it really felt like, you know, the Donald Trump presidency was in many ways um, the moral test of our generation, uh, one of at least. Um, you know, what did people do in response to that? It feels like one of those things that hopefully we'll be able to look back on, you know, in 20 or 30 years when our country is more solidly moving in a positive direction and, you know, be able to tell our kids and grandkids that, you know, when when this, when this bad man came to power, you know, I, I, I stood up and did something about it. And so many people did that um, and continue to do that and do continue to do that. Um, and, you know, I think that's the thing that I'm sort of like proudest of is like that, that people um, have sort of like uh, taken that collective stance and really stood up for what they believe in. So um, as for myself, it, it, it's, it's, it's more 
it was just kind of an initial thing, something I've been able to shepherd, but it's, 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 it's just about being able to kind of guide the energy that people have in the direction where they want it to go, you know, which, uh, um, which is, you know, yeah, it is very, it is very exciting when you feel like you can help people really make a difference, a tangible difference on essentially the, the history, the future of our country. It must blow your mind from time to time. Do you ever just have these moments where you're like, holy shit, look what this became, you know, uh, you know, Ethan is so cool. His mind is very magnanimous about it. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, a million volunteers. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, 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 I remain someone who's always kind of like, um, focused on the next thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I'm not working, you know, I'm hanging out with my kids who mainly know swing left from the water bottles that we have <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and that's their connection to it. Or like, you know, they know, um, my, my three-year-old son, you know, basically uses, um, Donald Trump as an epithet. Right. Um, like <laughs> to insult someone, um, you know, it's like the, the, these are the ways this stuff kind of creeps into my life outside of work. Um, but no, it's, 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 I, I gotta be honest and say, I don't, I don't really think about it very often. Okay. Um, so your kids think you're a water bottle manufacturer, possibly. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of cool. Um, so now that you've both reflected back um, let's talk about the future uh, and, and answer the question we ask everybody on this podcast. What gives you both the most hope for our future? I mean, I was partially answering that uh, uh, before, but, um, you know, I think, you know, personally, it's like that. But I think in, in the near term, um, as I look towards the 2022 midterms, the thing that kind of really stands out for me is our, our individual and collective potential for impacts, right? The thing about the presidential is it's this all hands on deck, highest possible stakes sort of situation. But in a midterm, you know, there are, you know, the turnout is typically lower and there are more voters that campaigns need to reach and fewer volunteers and donors to give them the resources with which to do it. And what that means is that like, each and every person who donates and volunteers in a midterm election, you know, that work basically has a higher uh, return on investment. It goes further. It's, it's, it's more critical. It's a bigger piece of the pie. And so, um, you know, thinking about the historical challenges of holding on to a majority, you know, while you have a trifecta heading into a midterm and how, how historically challenging that is, I think, you know, and look ahead and see sort of like, uh, the challenge there, how important it's going to be for the future of our country, but also, I think, most importantly, the ability um, I and you and each and every one of us have um, uh, to be able to impact that in a midterm election. Um, so at least in the short term, midterms to me like are pretty exciting yeah. um, because there's just there's just we, we can each play a greater role and have a, a greater impact, which I think is why so many of us got into this work in, in the first place. Yeah, that's a great answer, Ethan. I think plus one, um, all of that. And, you know, I think the what I'd add to that is, I think the thing that, that gives me personally a lot of hope is just the, the possibility of what's to come. Um, you know, I think we have seen, you know, a significant down payment on, you know, what the Biden administration has been able to do in their first six months, you know, beginning with the American Rescue Plan, um, helping pull the country out of this pandemic with vaccinations. Um, I I just wake up every day so grateful that, you know, there is confidence back in federal government and um, also like balancing that with there's still so much work to do. And I think, you know, we've seen this this past week with, you know, the For the People Act, like we're just not there yet. We need more, we need more, um, heavier margins in mm -hmm. Congress to get more of this stuff done. And, you know, we have the building blocks and we've seen some down payment on what type of country we can build with this foundation of Democrats in office, but we, they need support. Um, we don't have as strong of margins as we need to really mm -hmm. fulfill all of those goals that we have from a policy perspective. And so, 
you know, I take a lot of heart in, you know, the progress that's already been made, both big and small, you know, the small changes in federal government and rules and regulations and um, to the big um, sweeping packages like the American Rescue Plan, but also, you know, know that there's this whole other set of things that we can unlock by holding Congress, giving this administration four full years of legislative power, and also building and trying to expand on some of those margins um, to get more things done. You know, the way that we win elections is by, you know, providing a bold, forward-looking vision to voters on how government can make their lives better, you know, how we can, as a collective, make this country and this world a better place and then deliver on those promises, right? It's not enough to just say them, but also to showcase this is what we've been able to do um, with the trust that we earned in this past election. And so, you know, it gives me a lot of hope of thinking about, you know, what could be next on the horizon with this, like, foundation of work that we built and if we continue to work, if we continue to like think about this plan in the long term and collect some of those short term gains yeah. that, you know, we can unlock so much more. I love it. I'm I'm super excited about the 10 year plan. I really, really am. Um, I believe so strongly in year round organizing. I believe in building our power locally too, and not just jumping in, you know, right before each election. So um, I'm thrilled that that's the intention that Swing Left has moving forward, and even more thrilled to be doing this work with you, awesome peoples. So, uh, Ethan and Tori, thank you so much for everything you do and for joining us again on our podcast. Thank you both. Thanks for having us, Steve and Mariah. everyone for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved and stay engaged. How are you staying engaged this year? How do you like our 10-year plan for engagements? How are you staying engaged for the next 10 years? We want to hear from you. Tweet to us at BluesBoySteve and at Mariah underscore Craven. You can also shoot us an email at podcast at swingleft.org. Uh, one more thing. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. I guess that's three things. Uh, let <laughs> everyone know you're listening. Share our show on social media. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And as always, sign up to volunteer. We really appreciate you being here with us. We will be back next Wednesday. So we'll see you then. Bye-bye. W.